Okay, guys, we're, we're going to get back to our survey of the Old Testament, and so we're going to start looking at um, looking at this series concerning Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. Now, typically what this is referred to, these refer, books are referred to as, as the conquest, the period of conquest. And that is the period when Israel, remember they came out of Egypt, wandered in the wilderness, and we stop right up to the point where Moses died. They're on, they're on the east side of the Jordan, getting ready to go into the land. Well, Joshua records them going into the land. Judges then records the period of time right before the king comes of what happens in Israel, basically how they're, they're living their lives. And then, of course, Ruth records uh, basically a story in the lineage of the king, uh, of course, Ruth. And uh, so we're going to now look at those books here today. Now, these are called historical books. So I need to make some distinctions with you so that you understand how we're going to read these books are going to be a little bit different from the law. There'll be some similarities, but a little bit different from other types of books in uh, in the Bible. Okay. So we're going to look at this. We're going to we're going to refer to this as claiming the promised land because they've been promised uh, they've been promised this uh, land from the Lord, and so now they're going to take it. Okay, so we're going to learn some lessons here. All right. So first of all, let's talk about the nature of the historical books. So when you read a historical book, you need to understand what you're reading so that you can get the most out of it. Okay. So first of all, the historical books are known as narratives. These are this is the type of genre of book that we're talking about. So we're talking about stories, historical stories or narratives. That's what you're looking when you're looking at a historical book. Like what are the historical books, George? Well, in the uh, Old Testament, they would be Joshua, Judges, Ruth. Nehemiah, Esther, okay, 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st, 2nd Chronicles, those are called historical books, they're narratives, they're basically histories, okay, so when you're talking about other types of books, there's a, that's a different type of book, and those are, you use different methods as far as understanding what's going on there, all right, so the historical books are known as narratives. Biblical narratives tell us about what happened, but not just any things, okay? So they tell us about what happened. So for instance, sometimes when you look at a biblical narrative and you look at a story, you'll see that the story will tell you what happened, but it doesn't tell you all of the details because you'll say later, well, archaeology says this took place during that item. Yes, that's true. There may have been other things that happened, but the biblical narrative is only telling what you need to know from a biblical standpoint about what happened in that incident. Okay? So it's only, it's not going to tell you everything, but it's only going to tell you what you need to know. Alright? Biblical narratives tell us about what happened, not just any things. Now, they are not just stories about people who lived in Old Testament times. So when we look at these narratives, they're not just stories about people who lived in Old Testament times. This is not just a collection of stories of who, what happened with people during this time, okay? They're put here for a purpose. 
Now, you say, what's the purpose? Ultimately, the purpose of all of these stories is to point you in the direction of who? The Messiah. God's, his people, and the Messiah. Do you understand? It's for the purpose of telling you what happened with Israel as they're moving towards the Messiah showing up. Do you understand? So this is all the importance of that. All right? <clears throat> so, so for instance, okay, wait a minute. I'm going to give you an example of what I'm talking about. Isn't it, do you think it's kind of weird that in the midst of Joshua and the story of taking Jericho, they spend a whole chapter talking about Rahab. You ever thought that's weird? I mean, you say, well, she was fabulous, fantastic. I mean, she, she took in the two, two spies and, and everything and, and all of that. Isn't that, isn't that interesting? Yeah, that's interesting. But they could have left that story out, right? And just did the story of Jericho, marching around Jericho, taking Jericho, right? Why have Rahab, the story of Rahab there? Anybody got an idea? Yeah, she's in the lineage of Messiah. Do you realize that Rahab is a great, 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 great grandma to Jesus? Did you understand what I'm saying? There's a purpose there. All right, there's a purpose there. Even when we get to the book of Ruth, when we get to the book of Ruth, we're going to see that Boaz is a descendant of Rahab. Do you understand what I'm saying? So there's a purpose for why people are in these narratives for a purpose. They are stories about what God did to and through his people. Do you understand? These are stories about what God did to his people and through his people. All right? So these are stories about what God did. They are not allegories or stories filled with hidden meaning. Sometimes people will look at these stories and try to moralize them and say, well, you know, this person represents this and this person represents that. And, and, and so we get a greater moral story from it. They make it into an allegory. That's not true at all. These are not allegories. These are historical stories about what God did through his people. And yes, there are lessons to learn from them, but they're not allegories. These are actual stories, okay? Actual stories. First of all, next thing you need to understand is that when you talk about a historical narrative, they don't necessarily teach directly. We like to make these stories into something we can teach in children's Sunday school and bring a lesson home from it. But I'm going to be honest with you, some of the stories don't teach directly. Like, what do you mean? Well, when you come to the book of Judges, you're going to read about the Levite who had a concubine who was murdered, and then because of his outrage and, and what happened with the tribe of Benjamin, he takes his the body of his concubine, cuts her into 12 pieces, sends it throughout Israel. What kind of lesson can we get from that? There is no lesson there, right? You're shocked at the whole reality of what was doing. This is what I'm trying to say to you. Not everything has a lesson that teaches something to you directly. All right? It just tells you about the time that they live in. Okay? All right? So they do not always teach directly. Each narrative 
within a narrative does not necessarily have a moral all its own. So within the greater narrative of one of these books, you're going to see stories, narratives, but they don't necessarily have a moral all its own. That's not their purpose. Okay? All right, so let's get back. We're going to talk about the reading here in a moment. So anybody got a question about the nature of narratives, of historical books? Anybody got a question? All right? Anybody got a question? You know, there's a danger of how you read your Bible. Because sometimes we make our Bible say things that they don't say. Have you heard the story about the guy who did his devotions by opening it up randomly? Lord, tell me what I need to do today. So he opens it up and he reads that Judas went and hanged himself. So he said, I'm not sure about that. So he opens up to another place and he puts his finger in and it says, go and do likewise. That, that's pretty, you say that's ridiculous. Well, that's how some of us read our Bibles. If you really want God to speak to you, let him speak to you through the way in which he wrote it. Did you understand what I'm saying? And there you get gain something from it. All right, so let's talk about reading a narrative. Okay, reading a narrative. We've already stressed this one point already. A narrative does not directly teach a doctrine. You don't get doctrines from narratives. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't get doctrines from narratives. For instance, one of the narratives that a lot of people try to draw doctrine out of is the book of Acts. It's a historical book. It's a record of what happened. It's not a theological treatise. It's not something that you develop doctrine from. And that's true of all the historical books. Okay, So the narrative does not directly teach a doctrine. They usually illustrate a doctrine or doctrines taught prepositionally elsewhere. Do you understand what I'm saying? So they usually teach, they usually illustrate a point that was taught elsewhere in the scripture. So a lot of times you can use narratives to illustrate a doctrinal point later on when it is teaching a doctrine, when it is teaching a truth. Do you understand what I'm saying? So for instance, when you talk about very clearly from the letters, from the New Testament letters, don't engage in sexual immorality, okay? You can go to the book of Judges and use Samson as an illustration. Does everybody understand that? Because Samson, was he a pretty upstanding gentleman with the way he handled ladies and stuff? No, not at all. And he reaped what the consequences of that. So that would be an illustration of a greater truth. Do you understand? Okay, so let's go on. They record what happened, not necessarily what should have or ought to have have happened. Do you understand? All they do is record what happened. This is why I'm, I'm amazed at the Bible. Okay, so the, the, what we're seeing here with these narratives is they're trying to help you to see ultimately the Messiah, but the path to the Messiah through the kings. But when they illustrate the kings, here's how you know it's an amazing book. They tell it to you like it is. Like, who's the greatest king in the history of Israel? Who's the greatest king? David. 
By the way, when you read about David in First and Second Samuel, is it a good picture of David? No, not at all, especially Second Samuel. Holy cow. He actually turns out to be pretty selfish and arrogant. Do you understand what I'm saying? And a murderer and an adulterer and he's got some issues, right? But that's the narrative. It tells you the way it was, not what it should have been or what might have been. Do you understand? It doesn't tell you everything, but that's the narrative. So you need to recognize that. What people do is not necessarily a good example to the reader. When you are trying to gain some inspiration, you don't necessarily go to a narrative and look for inspiration about what you should do. Because sometimes guys do things that aren't necessarily right. Do you understand? But it's recorded there. All right? It's recorded there. Most of the characters are far from perfect, and their actions are too. Actually, I don't know of anybody who's perfect in in any of these narratives. Even Samuel is not perfect. Do you understand? They're not perfect. And their actions are far from perfect. But it's, listen, all right, so that's a wonderful thing, though. What's so, what, what's the wonderful truth that you and I can gain when we read a narrative and we see how imperfect these people are? What, what's the wonderful truth? There's hope for you. God can work with you even if you're not perfect. What did I hear over here? Just like us. Yeah, just like us. Okay. Do, 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 do you see what I'm saying? God, you, we have this concept that God only uses what? Perfect people? That's not anywhere. That's not true. There are no perfect people. When you look at the 12 disciples, were they perfect? Yeah, God couldn't use anybody if you waited. Only Jesus. Yeah. No, I don't know that song. Is it a rock tune? <laughs> is it a is it a heavy metal tune? <laughs> is it a screamo song? I mean, I don't know. Okay. So, all right, let's let's go on. Most characters are far from perfect and their actions are too. Okay. Now, We're not always told the end of a narrative. Whether what happened was good or bad. So for instance, when you go to Second Kings, you're going to see the story of where God sends a lying spirit to deceive King Ahab. He sends a lying spirit among the prophets to convince Ahab to go to war, where he will be killed. Now, while he's having these lying spirits come out, King Jehoshaphat is with King, good King Jehoshaphat is with King Ahab, and King Jehoshaphat says, hey, isn't there a prophet of God here to tell us what's going to happen? And King Ahab says, well, yeah, there is a prophet of God, but he always says bad things to me. He's in prison. And King Jehoshaphat says, well, bring him out. I'd like to hear what the prophet of God says. The prophet of God comes out, and he says, well, tell me what, is going to happen, and the prophet says, oh, go right ahead, everything's going to be wonderful. And then the Ahab says, see, he always tells me, you know, he, he, and, and so then he says, no, here's what the prophet of God says. 
God, he then says, a lying spirit was sent into your prophets and you're going to go out and you're going to be killed today. And of course, Ahab says, see, he's always telling me something wrong, sends him away into prison. And he says, I'll deal with you later. And the prophet says, I don't know that you'll see me later. And guess what, of course, happens? The story tells you that Ahab dies from a wild arrow that shot, pierces his armor, and he dies later in his chariot. Now, the interesting thing is, you can read the next chapter, and you never find out whatever happened to that prophet. You don't know. I mean, he did what God told him to do, and he was suffering in prison, but you never find out what happened to the prophet after Ahab died. Did you understand? So narratives don't necessarily tell you the end of the story. Do you, do you understand what I'm saying? They don't necessarily tell you the end of the story, whether it's good or bad. All right? There's a purpose for the story, but they don't necessarily tell you the end of the story. All narratives are selective and incomplete. All narratives are selective and incomplete. Now, we know that from history, from just everyday life, right? You guys know that when you see something in the news, it's not complete. It's selective, right? Who's selecting it? The person writing it to tell you what? What they want you to know, right? Isn't that true? Okay? That's true even when you talk about narratives in what? The Old Testament. They're written for a purpose, okay? Written for a purpose. Now, let's go on. They are not written to answer all of our theological questions. Actually, you can walk away from narratives with more theological questions, okay? So I just recently did a conference with 100 uh, Christian workers, and Every time I do this conference, the number one question that comes up is, tell me about the witch at Endor, which is in 1 Samuel chapter 24. How did she bring Samuel up? And they're wanting to understand that passage. Well, there's, you kind of like, did the witch bring him up? How did that happen? Do you know what I'm saying? So it doesn't answer all of your theological questions. It just tells you what happened, okay? Now, that's a whole other discussion later on. We'll tell you that when we get to 2 Samuel, okay? All right, so now, let's go on. They teach either explicitly, that's clearly stating, or implicitly, clearly implying. That's what a narrative does. It either teaches explicitly, it, it really tells you the, the outcome, or it's implying what the outcome would be or what the lesson is, okay? Let's go on. Implicit does not mean secret. There is no secret teaching in these books. So like right now, can I be honest with you? There's a book that was very popular a few years ago. I still hear people talking about it and it's the Harbinger book. And it's about the secret teaching at Isaiah and about how it talks about the two towers, in New York that went down. No, it doesn't. And who decided that it was secret? Did you understand? God doesn't have secret teachings that only a select few people know, and especially those who are selling books so that you can buy them 
at $15 a piece. Get the Kindle edition for 10 bucks. Do you know what I'm saying? This, there's no secret teachings here. Just because it's implied doesn't mean it's secret. Look, you can make anything mean anything in a historical narrative. Do you understand what I'm saying? Just so you realize that. God is the hero of all Old Testament narratives. Bottom line. God is the hero. He's the imposing factor on all, in, all narratives in the scripture. Do you understand? That's the bottom line. Okay? Now, let's talk about the book of Joshua. We're going to look at three narratives in this lesson as we go through these next few weeks. We're going to look at Joshua, Judges, and Ruth. So let's talk about the very first book of this section is Joshua. The name of the book comes from Moses' successor and chief character of the book. So that's where the name of this book comes from. Okay? Comes from the main guy throughout this whole book, Joshua. Okay? His name is made up of two Hebrew terms, Yahweh and salvation. In fact, that's what his name means. Yahweh is salvation. That's what Joshua means. In fact, listen to me. When you hear a Jew speaking Hebrew and using the name of Jesus, he will say, listen to this, Yeshua. The name of Jesus in Hebrew is Yeshua. Isn't that pretty close to Joshua? Okay. It's a pretty interesting note there. Okay. Now, this is exactly the same Hebrew name as Jesus. I just told you that. Matthew chapter 1 verse 21 shows you that. Same Hebrew meaning of the, of the name. All right? Now, the traditional author is Joshua. Pretty much in all Bible-believing churches, pretty much all Old Testament scholars who are conservative would say that the author is Joshua. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean that Joshua even recorded his own death. That could not possibly be. Do you know of anybody when they die who comes back to life for a moment to record their last moments? Nobody does that, right? So don't think that everything in this book is from Joshua. It's not. It very clearly tells you at the end that it's not. Okay? Joshua wrote the book except for the account of his death. There was somebody else who wrote the account of his death. Okay? Joshua wrote the book except for the account of his death. I'll give you another example of this is the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John was written by who, folks? John, the apostle. Except for the last few verses of the book. Then it's very much implied by the writing that it was his disciples who completed the book. Okay? His disciples who completed the book. So everybody understand that? Because some people get all whacked out and they'll get all upset. No! You're teaching heresy because you're saying Joshua didn't write the book. No, I didn't say that. Joshua wrote the book except for the last section about his death. Just like Moses. Moses, what? Recorded all of the first five books except for the portion concerning his what? His death. We can live with that, right? Okay. All right, let's go on. Joshua's death was recorded by Eleazar, the priest, 
in chapter 24, verses 29 through 30. It very clearly tells you that. Okay? Very clearly tells you that. All right? Now, Eleazar's son, Phyanus, finished the book which records Eleazar's death in chapter 24, verse 31 to 33. So even there, you see Eleazar is dying. Somebody's got to record his what? Death. So that's his son, who is the high priest, who does that. Okay? Who does that. Now, since we are uncertain of the date of the Exodus, we are uncertain of the date of the conquest. There is some uncertainty as far as when the exodus took place. I've already talked about that with you before. We have a pretty much a position that we hold here, but because of that, it's kind of uncertain as to when the conquest took place. So here are the possible dates, okay? Now, we would hold to the very first one, and I'll tell you why here in a moment. The date of the conquest, that is the date of when they crossed over into Canaan and took Jericho is 1406 BC. And that's based upon 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 1. 1 Kings chapter 6 verse 1 tells you the time between the dedication of the temple and when they entered into the land. And it being a certain number of years. Now we know when the temple was dedicated. So you just go back those number of years, right? And that brings you to where? 1406 B.C. Now, isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? So we would hold to the date of the conquest beginning 1406 B.C. Now, archaeology is a little bit different because they date things not by what the Bible says. They date things by what? Carbon dating or archaeological digs and so forth. And they say that the conquest began around 1300 BC. Okay? 1300 BC. Either way, that's a whole long time ago, right? And let's just stop for a moment. Right now, there's this big argument in the news that the Jews were never in the land. Well, whether you accept the Bible or not, archaeology says they've been in the land since at least 1300 what? BC. That's an awful long time, isn't it? Okay? An awful long time. All right, any questions about this so far? All right, let's make some general observations about the book. We're going to look at some general observations, and then I'm going to give you an outline for the book. And then starting next week, we're going to get into chapter one. Okay? So here's some general observation. This book deals with the conquest of the promised land. So that's what this book deals with. Now, I'm going to be honest with you, when you read this book and they take the land, they don't take the whole land. That's what's amazing to me. They leave peoples there. They're supposed to go in and what? Take the land, wipe everybody out, the land is theirs. But when you read this book, you realize they don't wipe out everybody. And those anybodies that they leave will then become problems for them when? Later. Okay? So, all right. So the promise deals with the conquest of the promised land. To demonstrate God's ability and faithfulness to his promise to Abraham about the land. That's what's going on here. This is to demonstrate what? The faithfulness of God to his promise to who? Abraham. 
This is what it's all about. It's about the promise to Abraham. All right, stop for a moment. You guys need to understand that. When we talk about Jesus coming back and establishing his kingdom, I need you to understand that the issue that's driving the whole thing isn't about setting everything right and about making everything whatever and making sure everybody's okay in the end. It's about God fulfilling his promise to one person. Who's the one person, folks? Abraham. It's about Israel. The second coming is about who? Israel and saving Israel from utter destruction. We see that in the book of Daniel. Okay? Now let's go on. During this time, voluntary tribal associations were the central unifying factor. Now here's what you're going to see. Yes, the main guy is who? Joshua. But there really is no unifying factor among these tribes except that they associate with each other. Okay? There's no unifying factor. The only unifying factor is the tabernacle where they are supposed to go and worship the Lord, right? There is no, and that's my next point here, there was no central government in Israel. In fact, you're going to read that point in the book of Judges because they'll make the point that there was no king. No king. Otherwise, they were just groups of tribal leaders, tribes based upon clans who were kind of loosely associated together and they would come together at periodic points with some leader guiding them, some judge guiding them. Remember, God appointed judges under, under what? Moses to kind of guide the people. That's why we have the book called what? Judges, right? Because there's no king in the land. Now when we get to 1 Samuel, the people start saying they want what? A king. But they're supposed to have a king. Who's supposed to be the king? God is supposed to be the king, right? All right? So there's no central government in Israel. All right, so let's talk about the outline. Joshua can be divided based upon the conquest of Canaan. So we're going to divide this into four sections. Okay? And it's based upon the conquest of Canaan. So first of all, the first section will be Joshua chapter 1 through Joshua chapter 5. This is entering into Canaan. Now you'll see there an outline. We're going to see the commissioning of Joshua chapter 1. The spies are sent out chapter 2 to spy out Jericho. The crossing of the Jordan River is recorded in chapter 3. The memorial stones, these are stones that were set up when they crossed the Jordan. That's described in chapter 4. And then the consecration of Israel, Israel being consecrated to take the land in chapter 5. All right? So then we get to the conquest portion, which is chapter 6 through chapter 12. So then we see the central campaign. That's where they take the center of Israel. That's in chapter 6 through chapter 8. Then there's the southern campaign. That's where they take what? The southern part of Israel. That's chapter 9 through 10. 
And then the northern campaign, which is where they take the northern part of Israel, and that's in chapter 11, verses 1 through 15. And then, just to make sure everybody understands what happened, we see them review the victories and the kings who were defeated in chapters 11, verse 16 through chapter 12. Okay? So then we see the conquest of Canaan. But Joshua doesn't end there. Because remember, in Deuteronomy, they talked about how the land would be divided, right? Well, Joshua now records how the land was divided. The division of Canaan is in chapter 13 through chapter 21. So we see the portion of the eastern tribes reiterated. Remember, they had the portion on the eastern side of of uh, of the Jordan when they took the land of Og and Shion, remember, um, from the Amorites, okay? Then we see a portion for Caleb. This is where you learned in Sunday school about Caleb saying, I want that mountain, okay? That's this portion of scripture, okay? Remember, he was promised this because he was one of the two spies, one of the 12 who had originally encouraged them to what? Go and take the land. So he gets a special portion, okay? That's recorded in chapter 14. Then the remaining tribes, which are the remaining tribes, the nine and a half tribes, are Joshua 15 through Joshua 19, as well as in this portion, you're going to see the special portion that was given to who? Joshua himself, because he again was one of the two who encouraged them to go take the land. All right? Then chapter 20, verse 1 to 9, we see the cities of refuge. Remember what the cities of refuge are? That's like, okay, let's say I, I'm here, I'm teaching, and I'm, I'm, I'm swinging my arm around, and I hit Sam in the head, knock him out, kill him. Okay? I'm pretty dangerous swinging my hands while I'm teaching. Well, then what I would do is, before Sue could grab a gun and shoot me for killing her husband, I would run to a city of refuge. Did you understand what I'm saying? That's where the manslayers went. Okay? Then we also see, chapter 21, the Levitical cities. These are the cities of the Levites, remember, because they didn't have a portion of land for inheritance, but they had cities, okay? Then, chapter 22 to 24 is the record of Joshua's death. Now, I'm going to tell you right now, this is not from Joshua. Joshua didn't write this down, Okay? What we see here, first of all, in chapter 22, maybe he wrote this down, was the conflict with the eastern tribes. We'll explain what that is. But then we get to his final words, which I know had to have been recorded for him. That's chapters 23 and chapters 24. Okay? So next week, we're going to start with entering Canaan. Okay? We're going to look at entering Canaan. By the way, in your notes, you're going to see a diagram that will help you. It's kind of a visual aid. It gives you a structure of the book of Joshua. Made that up for you so you can see how the chapters are divided and what they're covering there. Okay? Sometimes it's better to have a visual to kind of see where you're at. All right? See where you're at, how it all fits together.